0: Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello! We've made it! Episode 4 of the R Three Cents Chris and Minty Adventure Month Bonus Bonanza. Have you enjoyed it? Have you hated it? Either way, it's over! i'm chris dow and i'm joined by good friend minty booth it is i welcome and thank you to talk about the uh how do we say this it's um the g word i mean games announcement announcement it wouldn't be a true podcast without a section like this hawking our wider internet presence on you for you the listening faithful facebook.com slash r3 cents o3c podcast on instagram r3cents podcast on youtube you know what these sites do and by now you may even know what we do on them we also have a patreon at patreon.com r3cents there's bonus episodes deleted scenes discord access custom artwork you pay in and we pay out this week we have a veritable mixed bag we have reflections on gifts both new and old we have opportunities for friendship redemption We have games, games, some more games, one more game, and likely some pretty dumb jokes. Before any of that, though, it's time to hear how we have spent our gaming moments of this last calendar week. Minty Boo Boo, what have you played? This week, it's Christmas, and I work in a brewery,
1: so I have not had that much time to play anything on account of getting so many delivery orders boxed up and serving so many people from the taproom. But what I have been playing on and off for the past few weeks that I don't think I've mentioned is a series from five BN games who make games on, that can be played via the touchscreen on such a thing as a tablet or phone. Lovely. The series is called Lost Lands. Have you come across this? No, I haven't. And you have not mentioned it. Okay. So this is fresh to everyone. The Lost Land series follows a, a woman who wears such things as slacks sneakers and a checkered shirt and glasses very much a a mid-30s american mother who comes from the suburbs who falls through a portal into the lost lands through her incredibly mediocre ingenuity uses such things as wrenches bits of rope little bits of statues that she finds very much in the same way that one might utilize such items in other hidden object and point and click adventures to rid the aforementioned lost lands of such things as the four horsemen of the apocalypse (laughs) (laughs) that
0: stepped up quickly
1: (laughs) yeah yeah a giant made of magma a leprechaun's curse that turns anybody who touches some of his cursed gold into gold themselves they're good games that you can just sort of pour away at while you're doing something else. The story is flimsy. It's just like, oh, I've met this new character. They want a fucking ladder to get up to their loft. So I need to go and find twigs and a ribbon to make them a ladder. That sort of thing. The narrative itself is flimsy, but the gameplay itself is solid. But it does get a little bit esoteric at points. There are a few leaps in the logic of how you use things, but It's fine. You get a generous amount of hints, they reset every now and then, and there are plenty of walkthroughs on the internet, so you can just look it up and think to yourself, well, how the hell would I, or anybody who doesn't have a bowl of Angel Delight where their brain would be, figure
0: that out? Do you have a preference for Angel Delight flavours? Butterscotch. Oh, of course. It's got to be. Yeah, it has to be, yeah. Classic British dessert, that is.
1: Yeah, yeah. Not because it's the best flavour. It's an off flavour as much as the texture of Angel
0: Delight is off in itself. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's, it's the weird... Well, you call it mouthfeel, don't you? Yeah, yeah. The, the strange
1: mouthfeel. The texture is wanting, so, obviously. <laughs> the, ul- <laughs> the ultimate flavour is one that's wanting also. Because... Uh, me and my wife both have a tablet. We've been playing through all the games in the series one by one, but only one of us has been buying each game. Oh, clever! So we you know, we've we done all the free ones. We'll just sort of turn to one another as we're watching like Gogglebox or whatever. Be like, shall I buy another Lost Land? <laughs> quite fancy it, and you know we get twice the enjoyment out of it because not only does the person who bought it get to play it, but they get to play it vicariously with a smug knowingness. Chugging along with Doom still, Yeah, about halfway through episode two, The Shores of Hell, on Ultraviolence, which uh, I've never really done before. So now that I'm actually good at video games, as opposed to when I was crap at them in my childhood, I'm just having a nice time playing it how it should be meant to be played. Yeah, it's meant to
0: be tough, isn't it? It's meant to be something that you you have to grind away at Doom, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, I'm completing levels, you know, at a good lick. And
1: I'm doing UV Max, so all kills and all secrets. Uh, and I think, oh, well, I've done this one quite quickly, and it will get to the uh, to the score screen. And I say, oh, part time two minutes. Your time twenty five minutes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's because I'm a cautious and uh, an introspective player, but yeah, I, I'm always disappointed with myself whenever I complete a level, but I keep going, which I think is a strength of the
0: game. Anywho, what are you playing? I've played and completed, no less, a short Metroidvania title called Zeo Drifter. Okay. It was originally on the 3DS, and then it made its way to just about every other platform. So I had given it a short play on the Vita a couple of years ago, but I actually sat down and beat it 100% on the Switch this last week or so. Yeah. The Metroidvania it's another genre like RPGs, which is relevant for today's episode, that I've never been that big into, hmm. because sometimes I find the need to... Sort of internalize where dead ends are on a map, a bit frustrating. Yeah. But Zero Drifter is, is really short. Like it's only four small worlds that you jet between. New abilities unlock pretty speedily so that you never have that long to forget what you need to, to pick up and where you need to use it. And that briskness really helped me appreciate that kind of format, the, the sort of backtracking format of, of a Metroidvania. One thing I did really like about it as well is how it uses boss fights. So there are eight boss encounters in the game where all of them are the same enemy. But every time it's beaten, you get new abilities. And then the next iteration of the boss has also gained new abilities to kind of make you use what you learned last time, if that makes sense. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So the first time I saw like the same sprite pop up, I was like, oh, that's a bit lazy. But... You know, there's almost a narrative kind of thing there. The struggle of, of you as the hero sort of thing and the, and the boss antagonist that you're sort of trading these blows back and forth as you gain a skill then he does and, and vice versa. And that's quite nice. It also builds quite nicely with the whole game having a reasonably gradual learning curve. And a nice kind of gameplay loop because, you know, as as with all Metroidvanias, they have that loop of get a new ability, go back to find the doors and and secrets or whatever you might have missed. But I, I just enjoyed it because the game is compact enough, like I said, that it all connects together and it doesn't have any of that sort of dead time in between places. Like I found when I've tried to play things like Bloodstained quite recently or the times I've tried to boot up Castlevania Symphony of the Night there's sections where you are making forward progress and there's a lot of momentum and then there's these sections where I'm kind of going oh well I've got I've got something new and I don't really know where I'm going or what I need to do with it because the maps are still quite sprawling
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: I, I quite like it I'd recommend it um I think it pops up quite often it's one of those like two three pound sort of games mm. and I think it's definitely worth a play for that I also started many months late the Panzer Dragoon remake that Jonathan mentioned about half a year ago oh yes. and. For me, I'd been pretty excited about this game because even with Jonathan being quite lukewarm about it when he talked it up, you know, I, I was a Saturn kid. I played all of the Panzer Dragoons back then. It's the, the game that kind of got me into that sort of rail shooter genre. Mm. We know from this show as well, Panzer Dragoon Saga now ranks as just one of my very favourite games after my recent playthrough this year. Yeah, But this update of the original game, it's not bad, but it's also really not very good. Oh, <laughs> It's like a a, a definite, like, five out of ten perfectly average experience because it just it fumbles so many of the basics the graphics that somehow look less interesting than the Saturn original despite being you know shinier and a higher resolution and with more texture detail it just doesn't have the same otherworldly quality that the, the Saturn did it's got a really inconsistent treatment of the remastered score as well so certain tracks are fully orchestrated and other ones sound like it's just coming out of a midi computer from like 1993 it's got ui adjustments that now take up so much of the screen, they're more of a hindrance than a help. Nah. I wasn't really expecting anything beyond just a tarted up one-to-one remaster, but in the same way that many of like the, the 2D Sonic titles after the Mega Drive run just failed to recapture what made the original so good, this just doesn't feel like a worthy update for a franchise that I've got a lot of love for. So that was quite disappointing. It also is, is worth noting, I think Jonathan did say this at the time, how bare bones this game is for a decently priced title in 2020. There are six stages and a final boss, and I was done and dusted in 45 minutes at most, like as a, as a playthrough from start to finish. Didn't lose any lives, just romped through. There you go. It's got really paltry score tracking, so there's no real reason to go back and be like, oh, I can do better. Right, hardcore shoot maps ups are sometimes moaned at for looking similarly like empty on paper, but they're games that are about you know developing skill and player progression and and leaderboards and and really challenging yourself to be able to do something in kind of one go without losing lives without losing a credit or whatever but this is just really blare. like there's there's just no reason to go back and play it again i don't think Hmm. so i am pretty disappointed especially after waiting this long for a physical copy to be produced you know it drops through my letterbox i really excitedly put it in the switch straight away yeah played the game through and it's like well that was that was uh, probably not worth the eight-month wait, but never mind. <laughs> so yeah, Pans Dragoon, don't bother. Dig out a Saturn, play it on that, it's much nicer. To close out this segment, Jonatron here is wheeled out for his last moment in the spotlight before our leader's triumphant return. Unless people like Jonatron more. <laughs> <laughs> so what have you been playing this week, Jonatron.
2: So, Persona 5 Royal is almost unbearably polished as an experience. So slick and so stylish, and it's just an incredibly put-together JRPG. The story and characters and writing is outstanding, and it's surprisingly dark for its bright and colorful presentation. Definitely fought a sub-boss that was a giant cock in the mind palace of a PE teacher sexually harassing his students. Blimey, the only issue I've had with it is playing it on my night shifts with my daughter, hasn't worked that well because it doesn't require the same immediacy of attention that Dark Souls does. Because it's turn-based, and there's a lot of reading, so i put it down for now and instead revisited God of War. And I must say I find it hard to imagine a game that is better than God of War. It feels incredible to play, the action is incredibly satisfying, the storytelling, writing, and is so universally outstanding, and the game has to be the best-looking game ever made. Looking at it, I can't really see how a next-gen game on PS5 can look much better than it either. The lighting and the design is superlative. So I'm having a brilliant time being a Viking and just exploring this incredible world and submerging myself in all of this wonderful lore and mythology. At its core, it's not too dissimilar from the 3D collect-em-ups of the N64-era like Banjo-Kazooie, there's so many things to unearth, discover, find and collect, and it's all just very satisfying to do. I can very easily see myself going back through to 100% it when I finish the main story. I can't wait. Superb game. Potential top 20, I think.
0: Thank you very much Jonatron. If this is our last time together, then thank you, thank you, thank you for your service. Okay then, a little bit of history. Last year, around this time in fact, we produced an R3 Sense bonus episode that was themed around Christmas. Now the centrepiece of that particular Christmas array was our exchange of secret Santa gifts. I gave Jonathan the simple hack and slash rpg Light cat quest, which he happily played through almost as soon as it had been unwrapped. Minty received Hollow Knight from Jonathan and powered through a good deal of the murky Metroidvania in the dark of January, all before the world went to shit and I received Tales of Zesteria from Minty, an RPG intended to lure me into the genre softly. But because I am a bad friend, trademark pending, <laughs> I have only just unwrapped the game in the last couple of weeks to make a stab at its introductory section. I am sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Most listeners will know our approaches to collection and play are different. This isn't an excuse at all. Uh, my behaviour was rude and uncouth, ungrateful and unbecoming of a member of this cast but for context i do buy a lot of games and i don't always have time to play a lot of games at the start of the year when zesteria sat at the front of the shelf its fresh acquisition affording it a temporary home at the tippy top of the pile of new arrivals i had every intention of starting it but found i couldn't muster the energy to begin a big rpg alongside the school term restarting by the february half term or later the easter break I'd inadvertently sidelined the game's pole position for play with, with other titles that I had bought and then shelved and, and just put into the collection. And as the year continued to roll on, as marquee releases like Animal Crossing absorbed all of my pandemic hours, Zestiria struggled to bubble to the top of my gaming stew by virtue of just being an unknown. I see this as kind of like the Spotify conundrum, that when I try and think of something to put on from like a huge library of music, I so often default to something that I know, like something familiar, Something that in the 20 minutes I have to drive from A to B, or the 15 minutes I've got to kill before I do something else, I know I'm going to enjoy it. And with games, I think it can be similar. If I have an hour, do I carry on with something easy and familiar, like I was doing with Animal Crossing for months, or more recently Mario 64, or do I start something that I have no yardstick for? Again, I am sorry, bad friend TM is here, a year late, granted, (laughs) But to finally tell you a little bit about my initial time with Tales of Zisteria. Do you know anything about this entry in the Tales series, Minty? I know nothing about it, to be honest with you. Well, this is all fresh for you as well, then. Mm, Yeah, yeah. So I will do my best. You always sell RPGs with such a vivid picture of the story and the world and the characters. And I don't think I'm going to do that justice in Booth style, but I I will try. Give it a go
1: anyway. (laughs) I'm sure it'll be great.
0: (laughs) So... Tales of Zestiria focuses on a character called Sorey. He's an ageless boy of a man or man of a boy who has the innate ability to interact with the Seraphim, a race of spirit people, I guess. They can only be seen by humans with a certain level of spiritual resonance. And as such, when you rescue a girl from a nearby dungeon by the name of Alicia... Many japes ensue you when your companion Mikleo and wider village say rude things about her without her realising. No, <laughs> T- <laughs> the game's opening cinematic teaches you about a group of shepherds, which are these these people that can interact with the seraphim and historically have manifest in the world during times of darkness. Now, I'm not that far into the story, so I don't know for certain, but it would certainly seem that Saray, who starts the game searching for evidence of the shepherds, could indeed find that he is a shepherd himself as the plot unravels. And I assume as the continent's world-ending threat becomes central motivation for Saray and his friends, that will be a big plot point that obviously you, you move through. One thing I always struggle with in RPGs is having the brain space to juggle unconventional terms, alternative history, proper nouns of people that, you know, names that don't make sense to my <laughs> anglicised head. And, and so far, this hasn't been that different. Like, I I am a few hours in, yet getting these thoughts down, I, I found myself continually tabbing between a list of characters. (laughs) <laughs> and my notes to make sure I was getting names right. When I was playing, I continually referred to Soraya's Sorin Maltloaf, which didn't <laughs> help me when I was then doing the notes. And I couldn't remember Miklio's name either when I was back on my laptop for the first time, even though I remember now calling him Mikliangelo every few minutes whilst I was yeah. playing. <laughs> but for all this, I do really enjoy the earnesty in JRPGs like this. Mm. Because the only games I've really got into in this kind of Japanese role-playing style, I guess, is things like Earthbound I really enjoyed. But that is a game that really acknowledges and revels in some of the sillier parts of the genre, whereas this plays it completely straight. Oh, yeah. And it's quite refreshing to, to have a game that's just like, here's all these silly words and here's all this silly history. But it's just, it's there. And that is, that's the story. That's the people. That's, that's how this world progresses. So yeah, to see it kind of played just straight down the line is, is quite nice. The game's mechanics themselves, at least from my research seem to iterate on some of the systems that have become synonymous with the Tales series so some of this might be familiar to you Minty. Mm-hmm. It's got the linear motion battle system returning here yep something that I am reliably informed by Wikipedia stretches all the way back to the earliest games in the series in in some capacity. In practice I found this really odd to get to grips with especially in the first hour or so so for anyone that has not played a Tales game before basically a fight will start In this case, it starts just seamlessly in the overworld. Wherever you are, that's where you're fighting. But your controls change from being a direct one-to-one, left-goes-left, right-goes-right kind of deal to a more rigid scheme. So the left analog stick now controls how near or far you are from the enemy and lateral movement like dodging is unavailable at the start and then becomes usable after a few battles, but only with a combination of buttons, so kind of the analog stick and a button to leap left or right. And that's really confusing to get your head around. I'm used to just romping around the map to explore. And then when I'm engaged with an enemy, I then don't have the same ability to kind of get around. To look at it when it first loaded up, I thought the game would feel more like the battle system in Kingdom Hearts or Nino Kuni, where you have like regular attacks that you utilize almost like an action RPG that you're just hammering on the, the sword button, as it were, or something like that. And then having abilities that are all menu based. But that isn't quite the case here. It's my fault, really, that I was thrown mainly by the game looking a certain way, but playing slightly differently. And there's a sort of, don't assume, for you make an ass out of you and me parable here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I think it does speak to another issue I sometimes have with anthology series like the Tales games, that although they may be completely unconnected in terms of canon and story, they often rely on a certain level of pre-existing knowledge of just how the series works. And I think that is is evident here in this battle system that I'm sure if you've played a Tales game, you'd just go, oh, there you go, it's one of those. But for me, I'm sitting there going, why, why can't I do that? And and it feels like I should be able to. Another thing I've found quite odd, especially at the start of the game, is is how barren the early parts of the game can feel. Like, it does make thematic sense, I guess, because Saray has lived much of his life alongside the Seraphim in this village, which exists outside of regular society. But generally, games kind of, Front-load their excitement, and Zestiria has been quite a slow ride for the first few hours. It reminds me more of PlayStation Two era games, where technical limitations sometimes meant that developers would either have large maps with not much in them, or they'd have smaller maps that were stuffed with bells and whistles, just because there was a limit to how much could physically be rendered. I am en route at the moment in the story to the city of Lady Lake, which sounds like it's going to be much more populated because it's like a, a capital city in this land. But I do feel the pacing at the start has been quite slow, Hmm. but I am enjoying my time with it so far. And I think the main thing that is kind of hurting the experience, to be honest, is because I'm also playing Chrono Trigger. Uh
1: Aha. Yeah. This is
0: your fault. You've you've done this. (laughs) This is it. I've been hoisted by my own petard. Like it's obviously the games are stylistically different. Of course, one is much older than the other, but Chrono Trigger, it's a much better game. Oh yeah. I really think it's a much better game. And I think the rapidity of that game's opening does so much more to draw you in from the word go. Whereas in Zysteria, like I said, I'm, I'm still forgetting what my motivations are meant to be. I'm forgetting the names of my party members. Mm. And even though I've made technically more, you know, time progress into Zysteria than I have in Chrono Trigger, I'm not going to forget Frog. Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you've not played this particular Tales game, like you mentioned, but do any of the points that I made about this like ring true for Vesperia? I think so.
1: Yes, I really like the linear battle system. Well, I know it's sort of a a step to the side from sort of your standard turn based or active time battle systems that you get in such things as Final Fantasy and the like. The more menu driven ones. It's it's that kind of nice sort of nebulous middle ground between the Kingdom Hearts hack and slash type gameplay and the menu-driven stuff where everybody's just sort of standing around waiting for you to be like, why don't you attack the cougar? Why don't you (laughs) attack the goblin? That sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think coming in as a newcomer, I can see that it would throw you off a little. But the other thing that has really resonated is... The fact that it's all so complicated and hard to keep track of, because I think the Tales series can go one of two ways. There are some games, like Vesperia, where it's quite easy to just keep track of everything, because you've got very distinct characters with very distinct names. Yuri is the is the ruffian with the heart of gold. Carol is the coward, with something to prove. <laughs> Rita's the hot-headed mage, and Estelle is the princess, yeah. as opposed to, you know... Saray
0: is the malt loaf.
1: <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to me, it seems like uh, Tales games can fall into Vesperia, which is easy to keep track of, both narratively and... With regards to the characters and what they're all about but then on the other side you've got tales of the abyss which was a ps2 release that came out on the 3ds and my goodness i could not keep up with that game at all it had such a dense and murky mythology the entire world was run by prophecies that were carved out onto a stone But the only people who could read the stone were priests in the order of the goddess. And there were seven kinds of magic and everybody was trained in one of them. And then your main character was able to bypass the magic by basically just sort of shunting the universe to the left a bit. (laughs) But then it turns out that he was a clone of somebody it was in the emperor's upper military echelons, along with a load of other people who were cloned from other people? It was ridiculous. <laughs> this was in 2006, I think it was. So you're playing it on the original 3DS screen. You just like, oh yeah. I can hardly see what's going on because this screen is about three inches square. Like, I'm having to squint, and that's taking up most of my concentration skills trying to see what's going on, and I just can't keep up with the story at all. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm sad to hear that this game has fallen into that verbose and unattainable bullshit level of <laughs> mythology.
0: I mean, it, it may still open up. It may get to a stage where things kind of settle. But yeah, it's had quite a, quite a steep in, I think. Yeah, yeah. And that's both in terms of, obviously, narrative and story and characters. But also, like, the first time I, I went to the menu just to save my game, and it's like there's just pages of stuff, all with weird names. <laughs> There's a lot to deal with. Yeah. I think that
1: sort of thing's my bread and butter, so I wouldn't even consider that that would be insurmountable. (laughs) Oh, I fucking love menus. I tell you. Fucking love menus. it's (laughs) (laughs) It's like an instruction manual for a machine made out of magic and dreams. It's beautiful. Anyway. Yeah. Well, there we are. There we go. Yeah. Well,. At least
0: finding some bits that you enjoy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Good, good. Now, Minty, you are, in contrast to me, a good friend, TM, and you recently celebrated surviving another 365 days on this scorched earth. Mm, Yeah, yeah. And I sent up a game as a gift. And because you are a good person, within a day of it arriving in Wales, you'd already sent an image proving that it was not only unwrapped, but also inserted merrily into your Switch, and heaven forfend being played
1: (laughs) i played it within the hour
0: oh see that's that's what i need to do Mm. i need to get on this good friend train now the the game itself was called hero land that i posted to you oh can you tell us a little bit about how you found that is that how it's pronounced oh i don't know how would you say it? i've been calling it hey roland (laughs) (laughs) like
1: a fantasy spin-off of hey arnold
0: (laughs) How does Hey Roland fit into the, the Hey Arnold multiverse, or the extended universe? The
1: similarity comes from between the, uh, the two protagonists. In Hey Arnold, you've got the plucky young kid who's just trying to go his own way. And in Hero Land, you've got the plucky young upstart who is, uh, from what I understand in the story, interning at a RPG-themed amusement park to send money home to his family after his dad died.
0: <laughs> That's a
1: pretty good setup. I got to this particular cutscene where the main character uh, is reading a-, a letter from his mother, and she was like, oh, the winter has been so cold since your father left, but we look forward to your return and hope that you are finding fulfillment in your new employment. And I was like, Well, wow, this is this is a little bit heavier than uh, the jaunty pixel art and funny dialogue. It's prepared me for (laughs) quite a bit of tonal whiplash in that particular scene and that's the only one of its kind that i've come across so far it's very strange but the game in general it is a traditional rpg because you are playing a character and you are going into dungeons and you're fighting monsters in a turn-based system but i play quite a bit of dungeons and dragons and i always play a bard not because, not, not, not only because of my incessant and insatiable virility, which I find resonates with the Bard class, with them being so charismatic and so horny all the time. <laughs> so because I like playing support classes, I like uh, being able to heal people, I like being able to give them buffs up in their stats, giving them extra attacks and everything. And this is basically what you're doing in Hero Land. Instead of you controlling every character and being like, I'm gonna attack you with you, I'm gonna use your spell on this one. This particular enemy is weak to this, so you're gonna attack him with that, all the rest of it. You're basically a tour guide okay in basically an amusement park where you have like a group of four people who have come to Hero Land for their own different reasons. Like One person is trying to prove that they're brave. One person is uh, just trying to have a nice holiday with their boyfriend. There's, there's a dog <laughs> who has arrived with a prince who is there because his younger brother is also there to prove his right to succession for the throne. Instead of it just being like a a close-knit group of, say, six characters who each have their own motivations for going on a great journey of discovery with you, you're basically just enabling people to live out their fantasies in a fantasy world in a completely safe environment. Okay. And it's up to you to make sure that that environment stays safe. People can still die. People can still get knocked out or have their weapons be destroyed and everything. Mm. And your character as the tour guide gets experience points based on how well the tours go. So if everybody's happy, if everybody fulfills their class types uh, responsibilities like uh, the fighter, the tank, the healer and the mage, if everybody does what their preferred character archetypes do, then they have a better time in the dungeon so they give you more experience, which is basically just customer feedback. (laughs) (laughs) Which then gives you a shorter cooldown between being able to advise people, which is just basically saying you should attack them or throwing in a potion to heal somebody who's perhaps finding it a little bit tough. Yeah. It's got a nice slow strategic element to it, which, I, which I'm really enjoying.
0: That does sound more like a, I don't know, elements of like a strategy RPG. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Where you're balancing more than just the health of one character when you're fighting. You're thinking across the whole field of characters that you're in control of in a slightly different way. Yeah, yeah. It's like, have you ever played the Flash game Paladog? I haven't, no. It's a game that
1: takes place on a straight line with two castles on either end, and you send troops from one to take over the castle at the other end. That sort of game. Yeah. In it, you get so many troops and you can level them up in so many ways and send them out for money that you get from attacking and defeating the troops from the other thing. It's like a, the best way to describe it would probably be a general sim. Yeah. This is what this game reminds me of. You're not fighting, you're supporting and commanding a group of characters, and that's really nice. I really like the different narrative as well. I like being a theme park guide. It's, <laughs> it's different. It's a nice, gentle, refreshing poultice to the constant otherworldly threats, uh, life-changing journeys of discovery and all the rest of it that you get from so many of these po-faced JRPGs and other strategy games that come out. But I'm afraid to say that there is one thing that I don't like about this game, and it's something that I don't like in any game that features it that I have played ever. What is it? Lay it on us. It's the combination of a silent protagonist, a gobby sidekick, and absolute dog shit supporting characters. <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned this when I talked about Golf Story. I, th- I think you did, yeah. Every single character apart from you just sort of has it out for you is so cocksure and arrogant and your character never gets a chance to defend themselves in cutscenes or through dialogue and you're just sort of going through the game you're beating everybody and everybody's still like oh well, obviously it was a fluke obviously i'm still better than you and all the rest of it and there is just a little bit of this in hero land which because your character is silent and you have a little like navi type character speaking for you it just confounds it a little for me as well. Yeah. It doesn't take away from the enjoyment of the game totally, so I do not hate it at all. Like, <laughs> I'm having a very nice time playing it. And I'm just like, oh, God, I, I really hope that I get a chance to show that all of these people that I am being a good tour guide, I am doing my job well, like, there's no reason for my boss to be all like, why are you doing this without me having a chance to defend myself? I hope there's a chance that I can tell the prince character who is basically the main character of the story outside of uh, my be Aphrod character. <laughs> as much as I've played so far, I think this game is about this little blonde prince's ascent to the throne through proving that he is worthy by virtue of all the acts, all the heroic acts and deeds that he is doing in this game. But I don't know. I don't think I'm quite there to make any... Uh, speculation on the story just yet but i really hope that this little silent character who is working this job to send money home to his poor family in some podunk village finally gets the recognition they deserve that's all i want and i'm going to carry on playing it until they do and if they don't then at least i will have enjoyed the journey if not the destination and the
0: friends you met along the way (laughs) well yeah yeah exactly (laughs) Unless they had annoying dialogue, in which case, in the bin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's that, Mattress Man. The last in our quadrilogy of bonus episodes. If you have enjoyed this episode, or last week's episode, or indeed any episode, please subscribe. Please do leave us a review on your podcast catcher of choice. And do look us up on one of our social media channels as mentioned at the top of the episode Facebook.com slash R3Cents, O3C Podcast on Instagram or R3Cents podcast on YouTube. We are also, as mentioned before, nestled away at patreon.com slash R3Cents. We would love to see some of you there. If you want to reach out to us individually, I'm on Twitter at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I am Clement underscore Boo. Next week, we take a brief sojourn from the show to charge our batteries and prepare ourselves for what will likely be another fucking torrid year.
2: (laughs) We will return,
0: though, very positive on the 11th of January, season three, hosted once more by our fearless leader, Jonathan Dunn. Until then, though, happy holidays to you all, a peaceful new year, and do stay safe because we do love... Each and every one of you. Compliment of the season. <laughs> so you're going to end with compliments of the chef. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word
2: from our sponsor.
1: With a purposeful grimace and a terrible smile, join Nikki and Wyatt as we stomp our way through the history of Toho's Dai kaiju films in Discuss All Monsters. Are you telling me we're going to discuss all monsters? We won't stop until there isn't a monster left
0: to discuss. Smash that play button like Godzilla and King Kong smash an 18th century Japanese pagoda. Only on the Greenlit Podcast Network.
1: Video Death Loop is a podcast where we watch a short video clip on Loop until we just can't take it anymore. Along the way, we'll try our best to make each other laugh and to hold out longer than the other guy. You can jump in on any episode, no need to worry about continuity. Check out Video Death Loop on the Greenlit Podcast Network with new episodes every Friday.